0: Hello, you're plugging into The Evolution Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share with you another awesome message from Pastor Charmaine. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you at church. The title of my message this afternoon is Learning to Love. And I want you to take out your Bible, your physical Bible, (laughs) So we're going to be starting to eliminate verses on the screen. That means if you don't have your Bible, you cannot follow. (laughs) Okay, so take your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 13. Okay, and when you get there, you just need to say yes. Okay, John chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 35 first and foremost, but we'll look at the whole thing in a second. Okay, it says there, Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he says, I give you... A new commandment. Big deal. Jesus has never done this before. It's the only time he introduces a new thing. Okay, he says, love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. Let me read one more time. Is that okay? I give you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how everyone will know you are my disciples when you love each other. So when you turn to the person next to you, put your hand on their shoulder, or fist bump or elbow bump, whichever you are more comfortable with, tell them, I love you. you. Turn to your other neighbor, do the same thing, tell them. Does that feel good? (laughs) Okay, so, listen. Love is one of those core, universal, instinctual qualities that you and me, all human beings, are born just knowing. Right? Babies out of the womb, we expect it from these two human beings that suddenly appear in our lives. We form attachments by love. We spend our whole lives searching and longing for it, sometimes demanding it and missing it and making up for it in its absence. And yet, even though our need for love is innate, few of us will ever actually learn how to do love well. I mean, think about it, right? If loving well came inbuilt as a default setting on you and me, there will be no dysfunctional families in this world. There will be no toxic relationships or bad breakups or betrayals. You would never have to go to work or to school worrying about who might be gossiping or taking credit for your work or stabbing you in the back. And as far as larger community and society is concerned, if we all default knew how to love well, there will be no bias, no discrimination. No patriarchy or racism or sexism or bigotry. No need for us to go through hours of therapy or hours of prayer asking God to sort our relationships out. Right? We are each born with an immense desire for and potential for love. But mastery of it requires our attention, our emotion, energy and action. And in my experience, most of the time, a lot of grace from God and help as well. And even then, one lifetime will never be sufficient to even come close to who Jesus was and how he exemplified what it means to love others and to be loved. I mean, think about this, right? The demands of Jesus are inspiringly and challengingly high. I mean, our God is described by John as love itself. You know, the Bible tells us we are made in the image of God, the God of love. And we are asked, Paul says, to pursue love as our highest goal. Everything from being faithful to one another, to living in harmony with our tribe, with our community, with creation, to caring for the poor and showing kindness to the stranger and the foreigner. And as if that's not enough, Jesus goes so far as to tell us to lay down our lives for our brothers and to love our enemies, to pray for those who hurt us, blessed instead of seeking revenge. Now let me tell you, that's extremely hard. I do the best that I can, but I am nowhere near Jesus. So in our New Testament, there are actually four Greek words used for our one English word, love. Now, the first is the word agape. Agape is what Christians like to call the God kind of love. It's unconditional. It's the kind of love that author Dr. Kelly Flanagan describes in his book, True Companions, as he says, the kind of love that keeps on loving even when the other is cruel offensive, and unresponsive. God's love to us is an undeserved love, a selfless love. We are sinners and yet He died for us. It's also a self-giving love that whenever we come to God, you know, the Holy Spirit, She pours Herself into us. It is a kind of love that God asks us to emulate when we read John 13, 35. You see, the word love there is the word agape. A new commandment I give to you. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are Jesus' disciples when you have agape for each other. To order, right? Second Greek word for love is the word eros. Now eros is the opposite of agape. Agape is steadfast and enduring. Eros is passionate but more fleeting. Eros is what all the movies and TV shows tell us to chase. Chemistry and desire. But the thing about Eros though is, it is a great euphoria in any budding romance. And yet over time, the energy of Eros cannot be sustained. You see, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, who, by the way, is a clinical psychologist, he says, when eros is balanced by other kinds of love, it's good. It recedes into the depth of a relationship, arising occasionally. But when it is out of balance, it can become selfish and go searching elsewhere. You see, without balance, eros is unhealthy at best and selfish at its worst. It is not the only thing you want to build a relationship on. The next one is storge. Now, storge stands in contrast to eros. Storge lacks the fire of eros. It's a love that is more devo- devoted affection, quietly loyal. It's the kind of love that binds tribes together, that binds us together through hard times. But of course, listen, storge can also become unhealthy without boundaries. You know, if we are in communities without moral leaders and moral environments, then in those situations, storge can become toxic. Now, last one. Are you ready? The last one is philea or phileo. I don't know why one seems to occur more in, Christ, in Christian circles, but generally it's philia or phileo, whichever one, all right? Now, this Greek word is very interesting because Bible scholars note it is the one word for love that is most often interchangeably used with agape. Some might even say philia and agape are extremely close friends. You know, the word refers to companionship, abiding affection for each other, giving and receiving mutual sacrifice until your lives are woven together. Now, I will argue, for human beings at least, philia tends to be the foundation for agape. Right? After all, it was three and a half years of being companions with Jesus, that Jesus finally makes this demand in John 13 to his disciples. He says, agape the way I have agaped you. Do the love that you have experienced through companionship with me, seeing my example and my life and the way that I have loved you. Do it too, so that everyone will know that you are my followers. Amen. Listen, I cannot teach you everything that is about love in a 40-minute message. Because the disciples had three and a half years of living, walking, eating, breathing, hanging about with Jesus himself. And it took that long for Jesus then to challenge them, hey, live by agape. Agape. You know what? And even after that, God sent the Holy Spirit. And you can see all through the Bible, they still struggle to agape one another. Right? But we all want to aspire to it and do our best to at least get started by being more like Jesus. And with any luck, when we pray more, when we spend more time in the presence of God, when we spend more time with Jesus himself, then that is how we begin to know what love is and begin to live out what love truly is, okay? But I'm going to try and teach you a little bit today, all right? So open your Bible to John chapter 13 and let's look at what's happening in context of this command. What comes before and what comes after. So first and foremost, chapter 13 tells us it's Passover season. And Jesus and his disciples are sharing the evening meal. Now, of course, if you know your Bible, (laughs) you will know that this is the famous Last Supper. Right? The night that Jesus is going to teach them the ritual of Holy Communion. Say a lot of other things too. But before that happens, we get a couple of plot twists in the dinner party. Okay? Okay. So, first thing, Jesus, the Son of God, their Lord, teacher, and mentor, the big thing he does is he takes on the role of a servant and washes his disciples' feet. Which is the first lesson about love I want to talk about today. Number one, for Jesus, love is humility and service. So, the love that Jesus gives to each of us and wants us to do the same for each other, that agape that he talks about right now, the first picture of it is a picture of humility and service. You see, in Jesus' time, the job of washing the feet of guests visiting a home was always given to the servant with the lowest rank. Right back then, pedestrian paths were not paved with cement or lined with beautiful trees, like in Singapore, and flowers all over now, right? They were, there were no proper roads. Everything was a beaten path or a dusty walkway. And back then, people didn't wear Nike shoes. They wore open toe sandals. You know, no fancy water-resistant boots, whatever. So when you entered anyone's home, your feet were always dusty, dirty, and smelly. Ever have a friend with smelly feet? <coughs> so, the job... <laughs> giggle, giggle, some of you are like, that's me. <laughs> the job to clean your feet went to the servant with the least power and least prestige. <coughs> but here's Jesus. The Bible tells us, John 13, 14, 4-6. You got to look at your Bible. <laughs> So, he got up from the table, he took off his robes, picking up a linen towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he was wearing. So, listen, this act right here was downright bizarre. So bizarre that when Jesus gets to Peter, the Apostle Peter, Peter protests. You are our teacher. You're the rabbi of rabbis. This is not something you're supposed to be doing. But here's Jesus' reply. Verse 8, Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you don't have a place with me. Unless I wash you, you don't have a place by my side. Now, open to interpretation, you could be saying Jesus is referring to heaven. He could be referring to a connection with God. He could be referring to being his disciple. Read it how you will. Okay? Okay? But the next part, Jesus explains, look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. Yes, you should respect me. Yes, you should honor me. However, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, then you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example, just as I have done, you also must do. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like the phrasing of verse 35? What I have done, you also must do. How I have loved, you also must love. You see, the author of the Gospel of John here is being very deliberate in the way he's phrasing all these verses. Because he's tying the lesson, the new commandment, to whatever was demonstrated before the lesson came. In other words, washing someone's feet, that is what agape looks like. Humility, servanthood. And if God himself loves us this way, we must love each other the same way. You see, it's such an interesting picture that defies all expectations. I mean, most of the time, right? I mean, just talk about our generation. The more famous and more revered of a leader or a teacher or a CEO you are, the more privileges you get to have, right? And what more back then when rabbis and Pharisees and religious leaders were looked upon with so much awe and respect in the community? But here we have Jesus, the rabbi of rabbis, the most famous teacher in Israel, he turns that model on its head. Despite being their teacher, he decides to humble himself and to serve them. But but, but, here's the thing. Let me just make sure we fully understand what's happening here, okay? Because we all know the concept of servant leadership, right? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian or great consumer of leadership literature to know the concept of servant leadership. Right? Most of the time, nowadays, it means looking out for your employees. Figuring out how to bring out the best in them. Thinking of their interests even as you forward the groups and the company's interests. And so I think many people today in our day and age, we have a great heart and we can be great at being this secular version of a servant leader. You know, and Jesus, if you read his life, he did that for all his followers. Right? He does that for us. But here we have an even more radical description. From some angles, you could look at this picture of what's happening and look at it and go, this is humiliation. Because not only is he a leader that takes care of his disciples' interests, he is also literally washing their feet as the lowest level servant. To make a point. That that is the level of humility and servanthood you have to be willing to take on in order to love like Jesus. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Think about that for a moment, right? So, you know me, right? Some of my greatest teachers of true servanthood and humility are people, you know, today I would say, the ones that, you know, you think that it will be my mentors, the great people that I follow, right? You would think it will be the, my, my idols of religious leaders, right, that I follow and go, I want to be like you. But do you know, I have found in my life lately that some of my greatest teachers of true servanthood and humility are the people in our service industries who do their work with great attitude and pride. Now, I'm not talking about the customer service agents that call you up on the phone. I'm not talking about insurance sales executives. We have some of you in our church even though that is sort of a CS line, right? You know what? It's the cleaner that I sometimes meet here in our Lift at Rafe, who works hard and is always smiling even as she works hard to clear bins that are overflowing from people that are inconsiderate. You know, it's the foreign domestic worker who, despite feeling homesick, and having to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to bed at night taking care of everyone except herself and her family back home does her very best to protect and raise our families. You know, it's the uncle at McDonald's who could be in retirement but chooses to serve even the most obnoxious and rude students with the same level of care as any other adult customer. When I look at them, I see Jesus. I see Jesus demonstrating to me what true love and humility and service is. And I have to ask myself, do I love the way Jesus does? Do I serve God and others with that same level of humility and service whenever I can? You know, I have found that people who are not willing to be humble to serve even sometimes to the point of it being humiliating, we haven't truly learned what servant leadership is. Because most of the time when we talk about servant leadership, we're thinking about taking care of others' interests so that we can serve our ego and gain opportunities. But Jesus' level of leadership is a whole other thing. It is literally sometimes being willing to wash somebody else's feet to do the job that nobody else wants to do. Right nowadays, social media, all we talk about is do what we like to do to get to the top. But nowadays, we talk too little about the kind of honor and dignity and servanthood that Jesus himself demonstrates and asks us to have. So, first lesson. Second lesson, number two, love is also being kind to those who betray you. Who, sensi territory here. <laughs> so here's another plot twist, right, that John throws into this narrative about Agape. It's so random, this story. He throws in the betrayal of Judas. So in our story, Jesus, while he's washing everybody's feet midway, suddenly he gets a bit random and critic. He looks up, he goes, verse 10, you disciples are clean, but not every one of you. <laughs> Wait, what? Jesus, what are you talking about here? Then he doesn't explain. He continues washing. Right? Then he gives the lesson about washing other feet that we just went through. And then suddenly, out of the blue again in our narrative, he states in verse 21, Jesus was deeply disturbed and testified, I assure you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples looked at each other, confused about which of them he was talking about. Let's read some more. Verse 23, all right? One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, which was John, okay, was at Jesus' side. Simon Peter nodded at him to get him to ask Jesus, who was Jesus talking about? Leading back towards Jesus, the disciple John asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one whom I give this piece of bread once I have dipped it into the bowl. Then he dipped the piece of bread and he gave it to Judah, Simon Iscariot's son. After Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. No one in the ta- at the table understood why Jesus was saying this to him. Some thought since Judas was keeping the money back, Jesus told him, go and buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So when Judas took the bread, he left immediately. Man, talk about drama, right? <laughs> BTS drama. Whew. So Jesus cryptically mentions halfway, there's a betrayer among you. But no one dares to ask, except our usual busybody, Peter. But Peter is also too pious to ask openly, don't want to break the atmosphere of dinner, you know what I mean? So he signals wink, wink, to John, the disciple whom Jesus is closest to, asking, hey, you ask. So Jesus says, hey, watch who I pass the bread to. John goes, Jesus tells Judas, I know. Judas goes, and then leaves. (laughs) So quietly, this whole thing happens that no one knows it's him except John. (laughs) Now the point is, Jesus knew, and yet he kept Judas by his side. And mind you, Judas wasn't just going to betray Jesus in this moment to the Pharisees. Judas had already been betraying Jesus long before this. The Bible tells us they knew he was dipping into the CG fund. Jesus knew about it, but still kept him around. Jesus knew and still washed Judas' feet. Jesus knew and still included him in the dinner and passed him bread. Jesus knew and still treated Judas with kindness and allowed him to leave quietly, even to tell him to do whatever he wants to do to Jesus. Now I confess, this is a really tough one for me. Because what Jesus just did goes against all conventional leadership and organizational wisdom. I mean, let the dude who is stealing money and is about to take you down just go. No confrontation. Not, not even some kind of you know diplomatic settlement. Wait, what? HR fail. <laughs> now, let me be clear. Jesus wasn't a person who had a problem with boundaries. Now, I confess, me personally, as a leader, sometimes I'm not so great with boundaries. I have moments where, as a leader, I'm more harsh than I need to be, and other times I'm too nice when I shouldn't be. Jesus was not that. He was a very well boundary confident, self-assured, humble leader. Read about his life and ministry, and you'll find a leader that had amazing boundaries alongside some radical values. You know, and his radical values meant that sometimes he was kind even to those who betrayed him. He invested even in those who hurt him and left him. And can I tell you, as a leader that doesn't just aspire to be a great secular servant leader, but a person who is a follower of Jesus, it is one of the hardest things to do when it comes to love. To be kind when people aren't kind, to be quiet when people are not kind or quiet, to invest in people whom you know very often when you do ministry that some will backslide, some will make it, some will probably hurt and leave you one day to keep doing it anyway. But that is the kind of love Jesus asks us to give sometimes. Now, let me be clear. It doesn't mean Give and love to the point of perpetually being trampled on and abused. Because, you know, sometimes when leaders are too not selfless but selfless, you raise up a generation who is selfish. Yeah. So that's what I'm not talking about. Jesus wasn't someone who was perpetually abused. He spoke out when he needed to. He was not afraid of a confrontation or calling people out. You know, Judas was just one betrayer out of many that followed him. And when he went to the cross, it's not like Jesus is dying on the cross perpetually all the time. All the time, he did it once for all of us. So listen, not all the people in your life are going to let you down. If that's what you think, listen, stop playing victim. If you are here in Tivo, let me know. Let, you know. let me tell you, our church is not perfect. You know, for every, I don't know, good experience, you have nine other bad ones. For every nine experiences that are good, you have one bad one. Yeah. For every person that lets you down, guess what? There will be 11 other good people that you can connect to. So it's not a matter of when we get hurt in life. It's just it will happen. And when it happens, do we have the capacity to love and forgive the people that hurt us? You see, not all your friends are going to betray you, you know, but some of them will still hurt you because they're not perfect. You know, but when there is someone that betrays you like Judas does, will you still love them with kindness? Will you still deal with them with integrity? Will you quietly distance yourself and ask them to leave the circle while still staying true to the values that God taught you? Because somehow Jesus managed to do it. It's not easy, but sometimes, sometimes that is agape. Being loving and respectful and kind even when someone is being cruel. Being loving and respectful and kind even when people at work are going crazy over COVID and lashing out and hair growing all over the place. Being loving and kind and respectful and integrity even when some classmates aren't pulling their weight. Being respectful and have integrity and kind, even when your family is dysfunctional. Because this is the point in the story where Jesus gives a new command, a higher command. Again, let's read together this time, is that all right? One, two, three. I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. Okay? Ready to explore what comes next? All right, let's go on. So after Jesus gives this new command, our narrative now turns to Peter. Brash, talks too quickly, exaggerates too much, busybody, sometimes show off. Peter. When Jesus washes Peter's feet, right? Peter goes, no, Jesus, how can I let you do this? Jesus says, hey, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no place with me. In that case, Jesus washed all of me. (laughs) Hands, feet, head also can. So true to Peter, this is what happens, all right, in our narrative straight after the new commandment. Ready? Verse 36, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. Oh my God, Jesus is so cryptic, don't you think so? (laughs) Or at least John, the Gospel of John, the way he writes, he makes Jesus out to be so cryptic. Verse 27, Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll give my life up for you. Jesus replied, will you give up your life for me? I assure you that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And of course, what Jesus predicts absolutely happens. Peter, the guy whom Jesus picked as the leader of the apostles, the dude who was most definitely most zealous for Jesus out of the whole lot, he eventually stumbles and he denies Jesus three times. Which brings me to a third observation about agape. Number three, love is accepting another's humanity while seeing their divinity. I know it's a bit on the social media punchline side, but it sounded nice, so I put it there. <laughs> Love is accepting another's humanity, another's frailty. The fact that they will make mistakes, that they will disappoint you sometimes, that you will re- rub each other wrongly this, you know, some of the time. And yet, with all that, still seeing... God in that person. That there is a divinity. There is a good person in there. There is someone who will grow and change and transform one day. You see, God sees all of us that way. And that is why we love Jesus so much. Because, you know, because He sees us like both our frailty and that we have potential. And that is why we love God, but we seldom extend that same love and graciousness to other people around us we seldom look at the person who offends us at work and say you know we are all humans and I can see that they are human and they are just doing the best they can right now we seldom see the people that offend us in church and go you know what we are all humans and they are also just doing the best that they can to get there You see, look at the verses again, right, particular to this this incident. This is very interesting. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. You see, this is what I found, right? Sometimes we're not capable of being better right now, but we will be later. Do you hear that? Because I want to say that into some of your hearts today. Sometimes you are not capable of following Jesus right now, but you will be later. You know, with some of your friends that go through difficult chapters of their life where they struggle and they walk with God, listen, don't be judgy because your friend cannot follow you right now, but they might follow you later. So again, I'm not handing out excuses here, right, to do whatever you want. Chuck Jesus and his values aside and do whatever you want, however you want to do it. I don't think that's sincere. Discipleship. You know, I've seen too many Christians that say I will follow Jesus later not because they can't, but because they won't. There's a big difference. But today, you are beating yourself up because you never thought you'd find yourself this far away from God or if you're beating yourself up because God and Tivo, I don't know, all the leaders here, right, made you a leader, but you feel like you're struggling to live up to being a leader in church, maybe Jesus is speaking this to you, to some of you, to a few of you. You can't follow me right now, but you will follow me later. You aren't there right now, but you will be later. You see, Jesus... 100% accepts your humanity while still fully seeing your divinity. You will get there later. You will get there later. You will get there later. Which brings me to my last point. Number four. This is the thing no one talks about, about gape, right? That love is always a story of redemption and Restoration. So after chapter 13, this weird encounter with Peter, the author of the Gospel of John moves on to some other last words that Jesus has at the Last Supper. Okay? And as I said earlier, if you read further down the narrative, of course, Peter does everything Jesus said he would. He denies Jesus, and then immediately after becomes crushed that he actually did it. So crushed, That even after Jesus goes to the cross and resurrects from the dead, this guy, the guy that was called to be leader to the apostles, Peter, he goes back to fishing. I mean, that's the level of broken his failure had on him. Jesus taught him to fish for men. He went back to fishing for fish. And this is where the Gospel of John takes us back to the issue of agape one more time. So let's go to John chapter 21 and verse 15. And again, when you're there, let me know. One more time. Okay, verse 15. When they have finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now I have it up for you, which love is agape, which love is philia? So do you agape me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know that I fear you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I philia you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you But this time, Jesus switches it up. He says, do you phileo me? Peter became sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus goes on to say, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted, and when you grow old, You will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. So remember what we learned at the beginning of this message, right? Agape and phileo are two different words for love. Agape tends to be associated with a higher God kind of love. Unconditional selfless persistent even in the face of cruelty one definition even describes agape as the way a dog is 100 dedicated to its master that is the extent of god's love but then we have the second word phileo phileo which is more about companionship mutual giving and receiving walking together until lives are bound together now they are different but you can see why they tend to be used interchangeably in the Bible. To the point that some Bible scholars often feel that the distinction between the two is too overstated by evangelical Christians. But this last story, however, is very interesting. Because of the way Jesus and Peter choose to use them. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I flail you. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, God, I phileo you. Then Jesus asks a third time, but this time he changes the word. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? And this time Peter breaks down. And we can't quite be sure, does he break down only because Jesus asked him a third time or because Jesus switched it to phileo? Now listen, scholars argue about this back and forth, back and forth for thousands of years. Who knows, all right? We weren't there to witness the moment. We don't know what actually happened. But I do have this to say. That perhaps one day, for each of us to get to God's level of love, that is agape, we all have to start with philea first. Like Peter, in the early years of our relationship with God, we all want to agape like Jesus. That is our ideal, right? But if you've been a Christian long enough with enough struggle under your belt, you will start to realize that agape is a journey. You can mean it when you're 14. You can, you know, pray about it when you're 18. You know, you will say, I will never leave Jesus. God, I am so on fire for you the way Peter did. But as the years go by, your humanity will tell you otherwise. And so, all we can really do sometimes is to aspire to agape but learn to walk every day in phileia with Jesus and with others around us. Right? Phileia means companionship, abiding affection, giving and receiving, mutual sacrifice until lives are woven together with God, with each other, with community. Listen, you will never follow Jesus perfectly but you can make a commitment to be Jesus' constant companion. You will never be friends to one another perfectly, but you can choose to keep walking together, giving and receiving until our lives and our values are intertwined. Until Jesus' kind of love becomes our kind of love. You see, that's the thing about agape you need to understand. It cannot be taught, it can only be caught. Caught when you spend more time with Jesus. Caught when you experience Jesus' love for yourself. You know, the love that makes God humble Himself to serve us. The love that is kind even when we betray Him. The love that believes in the best of us even while accepting that we fail and are human. When you live your life experiencing that kind of love from God on a daily basis, that kind of love from the people seated next to you, you can't help but want to love other people that way as well right so one last verse for you today so all right up in the projection it says there message bible first john so one of john's letters he says we though are going to love love and be loved first we were loved now we love god loved us first but who comes next it says there, if anyone boasts I love God, but goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it. He is a liar. If he won't love the person that he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. And when we do this, everyone will know we are truly Jesus' disciples.